I'm so glad to be back in church today. Um, it has been four weeks since I've been preaching and teaching the Word of God. And, and uh, you're going to have to give me a little grace today because I'm probably still in a little bit of vacation mode. So give me like two or three weeks to get the juices flowing again. Can you do that? All right. Turn to your neighbors and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Okay. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome, 9 o'clock service. Welcome, Ashland. I want to welcome also our TC campus, our Framingham campus, our online campus. Can all of us here in Ashland give them a big, warm welcome? Good to see you guys. Uh, hope you guys are doing well over there in TC Framingham. Online, just want to thank you for joining us today, um, and I appreciate you. You know, I get to appreciate the online campus when I go away, you know, and that that's one of the main reasons I think that's there sometimes when we... We, we have to be away physically. We can still stay connected to what's going on in our local church. Amen. We can go on vacation, but we don't have to take a vacation from God. Right? Amen. 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 Why don't you just bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help me kind of get and re-engage myself but, and also engage with this word. Father, I thank you so much for the, the house uh, that I get to be a part of, the spiritual house. Thank you for this church, the spiritual family. So grateful. Love being able to come home. Truly is home to me. I thank you for the anointing that was in worship. I pray it resides, stay, that nothing that transpires would quench the Spirit of God. But Lord, invite more and more and more of it in this place. Open our hearts, open our minds to receive the incorruptible truths of God. Lord, I pray they go down deep into our heart and bring about not just uh, uh, training, but transformation. And I thank you in advance as an expression of faith. And everybody in the house said, amen and amen. Thank you, John Eric. Thank you so much. Well, we're um, going to get into our series in just a second. But I do want to um, highlight something that's, I'm just going to tell you, real raw and real, is really important to me, okay? And, and uh, sometimes I make uh, invitations or appeals that are, that are, are important and a part of our church, and this one is, but it's really important to me too. It's a part of my calling in God, and, and one of the things that I, I have the privilege of being able to do is pastor a lot of pastors, and I'll just say this as an intro to this invitation. Um, uh, many years ago now, I'm going to say somewhere between seven and eight years ago, I was looking out of my house kitchen window, and I was looking at my neighbors in the neighborhood, and I was thinking to myself, you know, how effective have I been at reaching my neighbors? You know, the Bible says, love your neighbor, yeah. Yeah. right? And go into all the world, make disciples. And, and I have always had an evangelistic office or nature about me. I, I, I like to, you know, be a person who is a witness and wins people to Jesus. And whether you have that, let's say, gifting or proclivity, we're always called to be a messenger for God, amen, a walking billboard for Jesus. And so that's still a passion of mine. But something was shifting in my spirit at that time. And, and another passion of mine is missions. I, I love to be able to reach kids in other parts of the world, and we talk about that a lot too. But, but something kind of elevated in my heart, and I was thinking about it because I was getting a little bit older. Now, some of you... Um, you know, know what I'm talking about, you know, when you just start thinking ahead a little bit more. Sometimes we're just looking at the step in front of us, but we're not looking at where the road leads. But I was kind of looking at where the road leads, and I realized, you know, I've got a certain amount of time to make the biggest impact with my life. That's good. Right. And one of the best ways I, 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 I believe I could do that was through leaders. And so God was really showing me the best thing you can do is not just touch the neighbor across the street. It's not just put food in a, a, a little boy's stomach, those things are really important, but why don't you help the people who help those people? Why don't you pour into the leaders who pour into the leaders who pour into those people that do those things? And so I started to see that God wanted me to invest in pastors. The Bible says when you smite the shepherd, the sheep what? They scatter. And so if you had a target, if you were an enemy, if you had a target, you'd always go after the leader. And so the, there's a target on every pastor in our region, every pastor in our country. And, he's, and the enemy is always trying to, to hurt, to harm, and, and to uh, dismantle the office of a pastor. And so I just started pouring into pastors. And I got to align with some other people that do the same thing. And it's been one of the most life-changing, life-transforming parts of my life. And I just think one of the best ways that you can leverage your time, your talent, is to help shore up pastors who are helping other people. And so we have an event that we call Relate. Everybody say Relate. Relate. 
And we've been doing this for about a decade now. And every other year we host kind of a regional event. It's somewhere between a round table and a conference, somewhere in the, in the middle there. And basically this whole building will be flooded with pastors. And from all over the region, some from other parts of the country, that will be here on Tuesday. Oh, it's not there. There should be. A, oh, there it is. On, on, on Tuesday, October 18th. Now, I said Tuesday because I want to highlight that this event is on a work day. Okay? And so what it requires is, first of all, you see the why behind it. That you, you get to serve in a capacity that I think might have the highest impact of any serve thing you do because you're serving people who serve people. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with what I'm saying? Okay, and so I just want to give you that opportunity. This is an invitation. We are looking for as many people as possible who call this church your home to serve on October 18th. Now, if you're not on the Dream Team, we're making a special provision where you can serve because we're going to have some training for this event as well. But this is a very, very powerful and significant event, and it's really important to me. And I would love it if you would make that a priority of any one of the campuses. I'm talking to all of you, not just Ashland. If you would make that a priority and sign up. There's registration now uh, for that event, and it's going to be awesome. Amen? Amen. So that's my little plug. Uh, everybody ready to get into the Word? Yeah. All right, so we're starting a little mini-series here. Um, on really parenting. I'm just going to call it Parenting 101. I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about parenting in one service. That's <laughs> right. Right. So I, the reason I wanted to do this, kind of to warm myself up, getting, getting ready to go in the fall, but for you was to uh, get you ready because we're starting school, right, and we're coming out of summer, and we got to get back into the, the groove and back into the routines, but for some of you who are not getting ready to do that, some of you are, and you know, like my wife is full tilt school. She just had orientation week last week. School starts, you know, on uh, tomorrow. And so uh, life begins to just like gear up mega uh, tomorrow. So I thought this would be a good time to do that. How, how many agree with me? See, Pastor, you're so wise. You're so smart. Thank you. Praise the Lord. All right. So. Um, because we don't want to listen, we want to listen to God's word on this. We don't want to listen to like some of the cultural trends, you know, helicopter parents and tiger moms and, you know, whatever Oprah's saying about it or whatever. So we got to move past that, amen? Because the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 1, uh, this is not in your notes, but it says, listen, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So it, it takes, by the way, it takes two parents to do a really good job with your kids. Uh, you can do it with one parent, but it's just more weight. It's more difficult. But God wanted it to be two parents. Amen. But he also wanted you to see that, parents, you are the primary teacher of life to your kids and God. And God. In fact, in the Old Testament, you know, uh, those things were not uh, taught so much in church. They were taught in the home. This transference of this critical information. And by the way, we only have it connect. We only have about approximately 40 hours a year with your kids. So we're just going to be a supplement to your children. We're not going to be a substitute. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Is everybody tracking? Yeah. You, are, you are primary. You have about 3,000 hours with your kids. By comparison, how many would say that's a lot? Okay? So we are the parents. We are the primary influences of our kids. Now, for some of you who are not parents yet, it's going to prepare you. For some of you who are done, this is going to help you be a good grandparent. Right. Amen. That's where I'm at. I'm moving to that phase. And uh, it's a little easier. Come on, somebody. All right. We, we minister to all types of families here, okay? We minister to blended families, single-parent families. We even, had, we even have in this church two-parent homes, two-parent traditional homes. And it's amazing. Um, in today's world, that's like becoming more uncommon, but we, we even have that. But we have all types, and all those types of families, just, let's just be honest, we haven't figured this thing out. Because it's changing constantly, right? And it's changing because there's different stages that we go through in life. We go through that as adults. Uh, kids go through that as well, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. We're going to talk about the different stages in just a second. Now, there's an old proverb. If you've been in church, you've heard this a million times, but I want to highlight something that gets missed. It's Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child the way he should go, he or she should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay. Now, sometimes people in the church read that and see that kind of as a promise. Like, if I do this, it's, it's a guarantee. 
<laughs> it, it, it's not a guarantee, okay? I want you to see, and I just, and what happens is sometimes parents, we get, Christian parents sometimes will do our training and we'll teach them this and we're going to have our devotions and we're going to make sure they, you know, they obey the first time and, and we just go through all our rules and then how many know we get humbled a little bit later from that prayer? Let me know. Let me tell you. It's, it's, it's sure to come if, if you're in that place. It's not a guarantee. It's more a probability than a guarantee because there's certain conditions and Along the way, what you train and what you teach here is a little different than what you train and what you teach here. It changes along the way. Is everybody there with me? Okay. So let me give you some encouragement, though. Your child, if you teach and train the right way, they won't, they might, uh, they won't depart from it, like the Bible says, but they might detour for a little bit. So you got to sometimes be able to separate detours from depart. Does that help anybody out a little bit on this particular verse? Okay. So the title of this message today is Begin with the End in Mind. Begin with the End in Mind. Now, I like the paraphrase translation. It says it like this. Are you guys enjoying this so far? Because I, I need a little encouragement because I've been gone for four weeks, and I'm very insecure this morning. Okay. So praise the Lord. All right. Proverbs 22.6 says, start children off on the way they should go. I like that. Use that word start, okay? And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. My pastor says, it's not all, uh, all's well that ends well. It's all that starts well ends well. But it's not just all that starts well in the beginning. There's different positions, stages, junctures along the way that have fresh beginnings, fresh starts, new seasons, as it were. And we got to make sure those seasons start right through the different stages. For example... With males, there are different seasons of success. They're not always the same at every single season. This is a little bit of humor. So, for example, at age four for a male, success is not peeing in your pants. <laughs> at age 12, success is having friends. At age 16, success is having a driver's license. At age 20, success is having sex. At age 35, success is having money. At age 50, success for a male is having more money. At 60, success for a male is having sex. <laughs> At 70, success is having your driver's license. <laughs> At 75, success is having friends. And at 80, success is not peeing in your pants. <laughs> Come on, somebody. So there's different, you get where I'm going? There's different stages, okay? How many have kids under five years old? Five, some of you are like so tired you can't even raise your hand. You're just like, oh my God. You're like, you're like mainlining coffee just to get here this morning. It's because it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's, how many have kids that you're, you're, you're parenting kids over 18? Over 18, adult kids. Okay, all right. So, and they're still living in your basement. Anybody, anybody, yeah, okay. <laughs> I understand that. So whether your kids are younger or older, there's significant stresses, changes that come about. So there's a video I want to show you from this comedian, Jim, Jim Gaffigan. Has anybody heard Jim, Jim Gaffigan? So funny. He talks about having, having kids. Will you, guys, will you guys check this out? Can we do that clip for them right now? Just kind of like dim the lights. And I uh, recently that. became a father. Thank you. <laughs> became a father for the fourth time. Never as much applause on that part. <laughs> really no applause, right? Because after the third kid, people stop congratulating you. <laughs> then they just treat you like you're Amish. <laughs> Four, well, that's one way to live your life. <laughs> Can you build us one of those wood fireplaces? <laughs> Four kids. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. The good news is we live in a two-bedroom apartment, so I thought it through. I haven't slept in seven years. I didn't always look like this. I'm actually Puerto Rican. But the wear and tear of parents... I used to have thick black hair. I was muy guapo. No mas. No more guapo. 
There's a lot of stress with parenting, right? I love that line. It's like you're drowning and they hand you a baby, right? <laughs> Especially that under the under five phase. That's kind of how it is. And so I thought we'd just kind of do a quick overview of a picture of parenting at different stages. Then we'll unpack it a little bit if we have time to do so. Because we need perspective. When, when my son, my firstborn, was first born, I can remember when he was um, inconsolable. And I didn't know what to do with him. And I remember holding him up over my head and just, tell me what you want, you know? I needed somebody to, it would have been so helpful for somebody to give me some perspective on where the heck am I at in this journey and what's ahead and what's down the road and be able to see things with the end in mind. Are you with me, everybody? Okay. So I want to give you four stages of parenting, and this is going to help you. And if you're a note taker, you should definitely write this down. But the first stage is what's called the discipline stage. This is years zero to five, zero to five. This is the, the diaper bags, the strollers, the, the, the cars that are just packed full of stuff everywhere you go. Here you don't have a teen, here you have a toddler. And in this particular phase, this is all about what you do. Everybody say what you do, because I'm going to highlight some key words here to pop at these different stages. This is the, this is, if I had to summarize, this is just don't. This is the just don't phase, okay? All right? Like, I remember seeing this little girl, she's a precious little girl, and she was, she had a bee in her hand, and she was pulling the wings and legs off it. <laughs> You know, this is just where you just have to just say, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't run out into the street, you know. And, 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 and my grandson, uh, Ezra, he, he's just, he's the sweetest little kid, but he's extremely mischievous. If you, if you look the other way, he'll just run out the door, literally run out the door into the neighborhood. Figures out ways to hide your keys so you can't find them when you're getting ready to go. The kid is nuts, okay. And so, anyway. Second phase is the training years, 5 to 12, 5 to 12. This is kind of the root of Proverbs 22.6, the grade school years, the reading, writing, and arithmetic years. This is, you're on the doorstep of adolescence, but you're not quite there yet. And this is not the what you do. This is the why you do what you do. Everybody say why. why. This is why you do what you do. And, and so you never want to, this is when you teach them, that what the what becomes the why. For example, I, I remember Madison, she had an, kind of an unfiltered um, speech issue. <laughs> and so I remember coming in one time into a, um, a uh, what's the name of the subway? Subway, the subway shop. <laughs> coming into a subway, and there was a bigger person, a very big person there, getting ready to get one of these foot-long subs. And my daughter points out and says, Dad, look at that big man. <laughs> Like, out loud. And I'm like, honey, you can't say that. She's like, why not? He is very big. And she said that. I'm like, honey, because he has feelings. And would you like it if I said this to you? And I had to unpack to her why we don't say those things. And then another time we're going to the airport and we're scurrying along to get in the line and somebody's outside and they're smoking a cigarette. And she says, dad, why is he smoking cigarettes? I thought you said that was bad for you. Madison. Yes, it is bad for you, but we don't, we don't say that, okay? And so this is the why, all right? The third phase is the coaching years. Coaching is 12, approximately, all of these, approximately 12 to 18. This is middle school through high school, and this is the how you do what you do. Everybody say how. So what, why, how you do what you do. This is where you're coming alongside them. You're not doing everything for them. You're starting to let them make some decisions, okay? You're, you're wanting them to learn how to think for themselves, right, right. okay? Yeah. And you, more freedom, more slack on the line, more uh, grace to kind of fail forward. You're, you're letting them try, a little bit of trial and error. This is a very turbulent time right. in parenting. And most parents barely survive this, this particular phase, okay? And so some of you that are not yet, there yet, get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> get into a small group immediately. Okay. Number four is the friendship phase. Friendship is 18 plus, okay? 18 plus. This is the when you do what you do. Everybody say when. When. 
Now, this may be a shock for you, but my wife and I, Stacy and I, our goal as parents was not to have well-behaved, uh, happy children. For some of you, you're like, well, that explains a lot about the fried kids. Uh, that's funnier than you realize. But anyway, <laughs> our goal also was not to have them be materially wealthy or to come, you know, to have gone to Ivy League schools and have high-end careers. Why? Because that's actually not a biblical goal. That's a Western culture goal. Okay, And I'm not saying those are wrong, so don't misinterpret those things, but those are secondary to our goal was, and we figured this out a little bit along the way, to be honest with some, um, but our goal was for them to be relationally rich. I'll let that sink for just a second. This is where life is more optimal for people is when they learn how to do this. We want them to have a deep and abiding friendship with God a deep and abiding friendship with us and with others. And particularly, like, it was, for example, even within a church community, we want them to discover their unique gift, you know, their calling, their purpose in life. We want them to have a friendship with God, friendship with us as their parents, friendship with other people. And so Stacy and I learned and are learning how to parent and now grandparent with the end in mind. Is everybody with me right now? And so the, the litmus test would be at some point, your, this is what you should want. This is what your goal should be. You should want more than they, they got a nice house with a white picket fence and they're off the payroll. That's great. But the better goal is they actually want to be with you. And they want to be with God. And they have their own, by their own choice of their own volition, a choice to be with God. But here's what happens. Everybody say, get ready. ready. Two big mistakes parents make. Here they are quickly. Modern mistakes parents make. Are you guys enjoying this so far? TC, you guys getting Framingham, you guys online? I hope so. Okay, note takers. All right, here's two big mistakes we make. In the first two stages that we just described, here's what happens is we try to be friends with them. We try to be friends with the toddler and with the middle schooler. And listen, the middle schooler is a terrorist, and we don't negotiate with terrorists, everybody. Are you guys tracking with me right now? We try to be happy and have, be friends and, and just go all Oprah on them. I'm just going to pick on her all day today. But, but, but they're going to test the limits. They're going to test the boundaries of science and your situation uh, through that particular period of time. So that's, that's one mistake. And then the second mistake we make is we try to, in the next two stages the coaching and friendship phase, we try to overcompensate for what we didn't do and we try to discipline them. It's so quiet in this Catholic church, everybody. All right, so in these these next two stages, when the middle schooler or the high schooler start to rebel and start to act up, as parents, we decide, I'm gonna double down. Yo, I'm gonna put the squeeze on. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna clamp down. I'm gonna. I'm gonna restrict. And, and now we're gonna crack the whip and all that kind of stuff. And so we try to impose and we try to restrict. And when you do that, it's over, over, Red Rover. Okay, you're gonna be in trouble. You're gonna have problems. Stay with me if you're upset with me right now. This is. This. This will make sense a little bit because kids intuitively understand that as they get older. That, that we're supposed to start letting go a little bit. Do you know that you ultimately let go when they get married? That's when they leave and they cleave, right, to someone else. And, and parents still try to hang on even after that, okay? So we have to prepare them by slowly releasing them. And so this is a common mistake. We should become more permissive in the second two stages and more more structured in the first two stages. And so I want to walk through these stages with you so that you don't just survive, but you actually could thrive through them. And I want to explain how we tried to do this with our guinea pigs. I mean, our God-loving children. (laughs) And, And so please don't judge us or see us as model parents because we figured and are figuring some of this stuff out. This guy, John Wilmot, he said, he said something like, uh, you know, before I got married, I had six theories about kids. Then later, after I was married, I had six kids and no theories, okay? <laughs> and so what happens is you kind of learn some stuff by trial and error. So let's unpack it a little more. Are you guys still with me? Turn yeah. your neighbor say, pay attention, pay attention, okay? You need this, all right. 
So first phase, discipline phase, zero to next week, by the way, we're gonna we're gonna look we're gonna look at the family and the kind of family you came from and how it affects who you are. So you don't wanna miss that next week, okay? All right. So today, discipline, zero to five, what can you do? Okay, first thing you can do is you gotta create a family rhythm. I like to say rhythm. Because I don't believe there's balance. I don't think that's. I think that's kind of a myth in life. Work-life balance. Give me a break. Uh, but the point is, your life can get crazy. I got that song by Seal in my head. You know, a little crazy. Um, you, you, you know, we're, we're, we're like we're like out of control in our culture today, and we're running so fast. But rhythm has to do with your daily, or you could say your weekly structure, <clears throat> because your kids especially in this phase, desperately needs structure. One of the reasons our Christian school, MCA, does so well, by the way, it's grown by, by 100% in the last two years, by the way. So our biggest, our biggest year in history starts tomorrow. Starts tomorrow. But one of the reasons it's so successful is because of the structure of it. Because in those early year, years, kids, believe it or not, crave it. They crave it. They crave it, okay? So this is where you, you establish certain priorities. And, and a rhythm, an example could be uh, for your family, our family, it was dinner time. Now this is a lost art. Dinner, supper time, dinner time, coming together. It was standard operating procedures for our family to be together three, four, five times a week as a family through all the stages until they got into their adult life. And, and it would be so, it would behoove you, it would be in your best interest, as an example, to fight for a time around the table. I'm telling you, it is a secret to life. Can I have an amen? amen? We are just sometimes human doings, not human beings. And we, we have no space in our life where there's a distraction-free zone. And the, the dinner table, assuming you put the, the phones aside or at the center of the table, as we used to do, should be a place where it is distraction-free. This is where we had certain traditions. We, we start every meal to this day, even as adults. We say, we say grace, we pray over our food, we thank God for it, and then we say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Everybody says that together. And then, then what we used to do is we would, say, we would ask closed questions and get horrible results. How was your day? Good. What you know, tell, th th fine. You just get good, fine, you know, nothing. But we learned how to ask open-ended questions. Right? Tell me something significant that happened in your day. What did you learn in K4 today? What happened between you and Coach So-and-so? Uh, I noticed something. Like, unpack your day with open-ended questions. Now, in our house, I had three girls and one boy. So the three girls, Mallory especially, she could volunteer tons of information. Frankly, we had to stop her most of the time. Like, I don't really care how many steps you took between first class and second class and what she was wearing and all that kind of stuff. And so she would just go on and on and on. We're like, thank you very much. Wow. And then, but Devin, Devin was different. Devin used the time when we asked open-ended questions. He didn't know he was doing this because it wasn't direct. It was indirect. He would tell on himself. <laughs> Dad, I said, what happened today? You know, what happened? Alex, Alex, my friend Alex, he swore at the teacher. And uh, because he put me in a headlock, Dad, he put me in a headlock, and uh, he got in big trouble. Dad, what did you do? What did, what did you say? Nothing. I mean, he got in trouble. He had to go to the principal. Uh, yeah, but what did you? Well, I mean, I hit him once. Yeah, but, you know, and so he finally, okay, we figure out stuff. <laughs> it's really true that stuff happened. And so he would tell on himself. But. This was priceless time, and these, were, these rhythms are so huge for your family. Here's another one. you got to celebrate. This, is, this isn't because we're a Jewish family, okay? And I know this word gets mis misunderstood, but we're, we had to celebrate Sabbath. As a family, I think it's important to have some special time set aside to just slow down, to, to recreate. Look at this verse from Exodus 20. By the way, Sabbath is the fourth commandment. And we, we say, well, the commandments is Old Testament. So we, we murder now, we steal, we covet our neighbor's wife. No, it, the commandments are for all time, everybody. Okay? <laughs> it says in Exodus 28, it says, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all, do all your work. But the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord. This is interesting. 
On it you shall not work or do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter. So it includes family in this particular thing. I like to say it like this. Sabbath is where you put a special boundary around your family. Now, I like, uh, I think it's an anecdote to the crazy nuts pace of the Northeast of America today, which it's like an arms race to race. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know how to explain it, but we, 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 how busy can I be? You go to a soccer game and then they're like, yeah, we got to leave because we got to go to New York because we got a tournament there. And, and our daughter's going to, you know, over here because she's got a modeling, you know, thing. And then we got cheer camp this weekend. And it's like, it's like a competition for how busy we can be. And they're, they're eating, you know, fast food and fr French fries are falling out the door as they get in uh, from the week before. And, and this and, and this crazy pace, can I just suggest, it produces a performance mentality in your kids. Wow. Thank you, yep. That's good. And they think if I don't do more, I won't be accepted anymore. I have to do more. I have to, I have to fill it. I have to fill it to feel it. And so you have to decide some places, somewhere to go countercultural. That's what the Sabbath was. It was a way to say, uh, I, I'm going to stop working so God can go to work. And I trust you. Yeah. And, and, and don't, and, you know, and to be even more specific, like maybe find a place where you're not digital. You're more analog in that. Yes, sir. Yeah. My wife is always trying to get us to do things that are less digital, more analog. Let's, let's, let's go to the, let's go to the Hopkins State Park and get, get on some canoes. Let's, let's go hiking. Let's get out and let's get out in the woods like, but there's mosquitoes out there, baby. There's like, you know, <laughs> bears and stuff. You know what I mean? It's so comfortable inside here. And Netflix has a whole new series that just came out. And, 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 but she's, she's always pushing us to, 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 to beach it up. Devin's been really good at this as a father and as a husband. I know I pick on him a lot of times. But, you know, he just sets aside Monday. Monday's family day. And you'll, if you follow him, you'll see that they're at, a, they're, at a, they're at a zoo with the kids. They're at a park with the kids. He's setting an analog life with his family and a Sabbath life marking his calendar. So you got to decide to do this because if you don't, <clears throat> when you're there, you won't be there. Like, I had to do this with my vacation. Are you guys getting something out of this right now? Yeah. I had to do this with my vacation. So this is going to sound a little extreme. I'm not saying everybody can do this. And praise God, you know, at this phase of my life, I can. It's really the first time in my life I've been able to go this long. And I'm qualifying because you'll pick it, it apart. But I just went on a three-week vacation, okay, three weeks. My first week was a staycation. The staycation was I was at home, but I had to unravel for about a week because I'm an A-type personality. I don't know how to stop sometimes. So I'm brain dumping, I'm, I'm doing some things that I just got to get done. Here's what was the benefit of the staycation, because the second week is my family vacation. Now it's my family. Family vacation is not rest. It's fun, but it's not rest. So I set my expectation. This is not where I'm going to rest. But here's the benefit. Because I had a staycation, my family vacation, I was present. Now, I'm not saying you have to do a whole week to be present. I'm not saying you have to do what I do. I'm just saying a lot of times we're there, but we're not there. Because we're not living in an analog world. We're living in a digital world, and so we're not present. And the last week was just me and my wife. Glory to God. And we, and we rest. Amen? Are you with me, everybody? And so here's the thing that kids know. Kids know that love pays attention. Love pays attention. Okay? And sometimes I, I have been the worst at this as a parent. I, I want you to see another clip from Jim Haffigan because in the training years, which is the next one, this can become really, really difficult. And so the training years are 5 to 12. Look what Jim Haffigan said to put things in real-life terms that you and I can relate to about bedtimes. Check this out. Four kids. Bedtime is a crisis. That's why I'm here right now. It's too hard. They act like they've never been to sleep before. Bed, what's that? No, I don't wanna do that. Then it becomes some hostage negotiation, but in reverse. Look, if you stay in there, I will give you whatever you want. I will meet your demands. What do you want, a helicopter to Cuba? Anything. Just stay in there. There's always one awake. 
Like they're taking shifts. All right, I'll annoy him from midnight to two. Who wants three to six? Now let's lie down and practice kicking them in our sleep. Because my wife has instituted this open door policy where if one of our kids has a nightmare, they're welcome to come in our room and pee in our bed. <laughs> Luckily, that only happens every night. You ever slept next to someone that's wet the bed? Delicious. <laughs> oh my gosh, that guy kills me. You guys are all gonna go watch him later today, I know. Okay, so in this next phase, the training phase, unpacking it some more, you have to give clear expectations. Everybody say clear expectations. Okay, it's really important in this phase because you got to tell them, you know, uh, yeah, you can go to the mall, but you can't go alone. Um, yeah, you can play out with your friends, but first you have to do your homework. Um, yes, uh, we can have ice cream, but not for breakfast. Okay? Like, this is where you spell things out for them because they sometimes don't get it. Yes, you can um, have some digital time, but only for 45 minutes, and it has to be in a public place where I can see you because I'm paying for this. And by the way, every now and then, I'm going to check your browser. Come on, PD. It's getting quiet in here. Okay, all right. So... What happens is this phase can get a little excessive a lot of times where I've seen family. One time we had a family in this church. I won't mention their name. I'm so tempted, but I won't. But I remember going over the house. They were young in faith at the time. And they had, I remember going to the house. And on the refrigerator, they had 50 rules for the kids. 50. And I remember looking at this. I'm like, this person has no clue. I, and then I even thought, I'm like, they don't even know the Ten Commandments. But they got 50 rules for their kids, you know? And so this, this teaching and training phase, though, and I, on one hand, I understand it because there's so much you feel like you have to download, right? You're like, there's so much they don't know. I can't release them to themselves, you know? What will they do? It's like you see the kids in the cabinets, you know, with the flour all over their bodies, you know, and they ate every chocolate that was right. You can't, you just can't let them go. There's so much to teach them. And I remember just as a pause, this is why you need to stay close to God and you need to stay connected to godly influence because you need him to speak to you to give you wisdom. Amen. I remember with my son just thinking when he was first born, I was so overwhelmed with my first child. By the second, third, and fourth, it was like, whatever, we're good. Uh, but... But the first, it, it overwhelmed me. And God gave me some perspective, and he gave me some wisdom. And I'm going to share this with you really quick. But God may do something like this for you. I asked God, can you please simplify this parenting thing for me? What do I teach them? What, what's the important rules of life? Because otherwise I'll have 50. So I had three rules in our house. My kids can all quote these back to you. We used to tell them, talk to God, tell the truth, take responsibility. These were fry family rules. Talk to God. Tell the truth, take responsibility. So we wanted them, we knew that when you make a mistake, and you will, and you fail, and you, that it's going to create a separation. Sin separates. It separates you, not just from your parent, it separates you from God. So we wanted to teach them whenever they fail to get right with God quickly. That your relationship was the most important. It was so important also that you tell the truth. It was more, we knew that right standing would produce right behavior, not right behavior produce right standing. Wow. So we wanted them to be right with God. One of the reasons they might not be right with God is because they were telling lies. Right? They weren't being truthful. So we did everything in our power to get our kids to tell the truth. In fact, the thing that we would chasten the most or discipline the most above all things was lying. Because we wanted to encourage them, I don't care what you do, tell the truth. Because the Bible says if we regard sin in our heart, he will not hear us. Psalm 62. Okay, And then lastly, take responsibility because there's a thing from the fall of man forward where we always want to blame everybody else. Just own it and move on. Amen? And it's just everything, if you think about it, every behavior that you're trying to encourage in your child, it probably is going to come under one of those three those three rules. Amen? Hopefully that helps you guys. But what happens is, or the challenge is, what happens when they break the rules? Well, here's our next piece of advice. You have to correct with compassion. Correct with compassion. In other words, how you frame 
your discipline <laughs> is so important. And Stacy and I miss this many, many times. You know how you, when you get angry, we used to teach, when you get angry, tag team, like it's kind of like, uh, what do you call that? Wrestling, you know, tag team wrestling. It's just like, I'm out, you know, you're in. Uh, we used to do that in parenting. But what happens when both of you are so ticked off you want to kill your kid, you know? And so we would get to that place. I'm sure, don't look at me like none of you ever had that happen to you. You know you've had that. So, but this is the phase where sometimes we're attacking their character, not, we're not uh, confronting the sin. A lot of times we don't, we don't separate those two things. The person from the behavior. And as a result, sometimes uh, we, we, we create a divide. I remember one time, I, I absolutely lost it one time. We were, we were having a family day. We went to uh, Hampton Beach. We're in my infamous minivan, my Mercury Villager minivan. And Devin just, just ticked me off and I lost it in front of all the girls and Stacy. Now, I, I'm kind of the long leash guy in the family, but when I finally lose it, it, it's over, okay? It, it's, it's over. And so I lost it, and I disciplined him severely in front of the girls and just shamed him. And I remember just thinking how, how awful that was. And I remember the next day reading the verse from Ephesians 6 where it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and the instruction of the Lord. And the Lord showed me that your words have, like, your, the weight of the Father's words are like 500 pounds, to a child. And you have to be very careful where you retain your compassion when you're being corrective so that you don't crush their spirit. You don't want to crush their spirit. Because they may comply outwardly, but inwardly they are becoming distant from you. In this very room, when I was the principal of this school, uh, back in the day, long time ago, I remember disciplining a young boy. He was driving me nuts. He was defiant. And at the time, in my youthful leadership, and just by virtue of being a male, males want to crush defiance, okay? And, 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 and defiance is a spirit. It's a spirit. If we don't teach our kids how to, how to come under authority of, of physical and literal people, they'll, they're going to they're look at God the same way. And so that's why we have to train them right. But I remember saying, listen, young man, you need to sit down. And I was kind of like harsh. And he wouldn't sit down. I said, sit down right now or I will make you sit down. And then he sat down. And he still had a little toot on his face. You know what I'm talking about? A little toot on his face. And I looked at him and I said, you still got a problem? He said, he looked up at me and he said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. Some serious rebellion. <laughs> In other words, you won the battle on the outside, but you're losing it on the inside. And a lot of parents are doing that. And so we have to be very, very careful in the process. Are you with me, everybody? All right. In the coaching years, everybody say the coaching years, 12 to 18. This starts with middle school all the way through to high school. Let your child begin to make some decisions. This is where you got to let them pick some friends. Maybe pick a sport that you didn't play when you were growing up, Dirk. Maybe... Select some of the music, you know, that you might not uh, be okay with, perf as long as it's not explicit, whatever. You know, I'm just trying, don't, don't read into this too, too much. During, I don't know if you realize this, but during the middle school years, it is the second fastest development period in a child's life. Intellectually, emotionally, and physically, it's the second biggest cognitive development, social development, hormonal raging development is during this particular point in time. But listen to this. It is also spiritually where they decide whether or not to make mom and dad's faith their own. And that's why it's so important that the last point I want to make on this is that you don't freak out. I don't have a verse for this one, okay? This is just experience. As parents, please don't freak out. When they don't do what you say or, go, or it goes the way you want. The most important thing during this coaching phase is open lines of communication between you and your child. Okay? My wife mentored me hugely in this particular area. And I remember a long time ago with, with Mallory, uh, my oldest daughter, I remember my wife kind of preparing me. Honey, the girls, there's going to be some changes coming. 
and I don't want you to freak out. There are going to be changes with their bodies. There's going to be changes with boys being interested in them. And I, and, and I, and I thought she was preparing them, but she was preparing me. <laughs> and I know how you are. I'm like, what are you talking about? I got this. And, you know, and then one day we're at the dinner table, and I'm sitting down, and Mallory comes out. She's got a V-neck on. And I'm kind of just getting my plate, and then all of a sudden I'm going around, and I'm like, what happened right there? And my wife's going, she's like this. She's pointing to me like, come over here. We got to talk. And I'm, like, and I'm just staring at Mallory, you know? There's been a, a change, a modification that has taken place. Some kind of, uh, something happened in the night. And, and she, she pulls me in the back and she's like, honey, you have to not freak out. I'm not freaking out, but you didn't prepare me for that. You told me there'd be a problem, but I didn't know there'd be two of them at the same time. <laughs> and she was just so good at coaching girls and guys through this particular season, she'd pick up girls from school, you know, and she'd just be driving along, and, and, and they'd be talking, and then she'd be like, hey, hey, guys, so, so who's dating who? Who, let's go, oh, Mrs. Friday, I don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> and she would just never look away, she'd just keep looking, just come on, and then, before you know it, they're all talking, oh, yes, Johnny Smith's kissing so-and-so, and there was a part, this is like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, you know, the cops showed up, blah, blah, and she's like, oh, that's interesting, do you guys want to stop at Dunkin' Donuts, you know, and just She's just getting all this information. And, and she tell me, and I'm freaking out. They're in the seventh grade. Cops showing up. What are you talking about? And then she would get all this information, and then she would coach them. She coached them through all of those seasons. And, and, and so she's trying to tell me to do the same thing, and I, I was terrible at it. I, I'm going to just camp here for a second because some of you parents need to get this, you know. Because I remember one time my daughter, Madison, came out of school. She was a little bit younger. And, and I picked her up from school. She gets in the car, and she's playing with her phone. Immediately, she's playing with her phone. And then she's like, ew. And I'm like, what? What? She goes, nothing. I go, why? No, you can tell, Daddy. She goes, no. I go, no, you can tell me what? She goes, okay. My friend just got a training bra. And I'm immediately white-knuckled, totally nervous. And I can hear my wife saying, don't freak out. Just ask questions. And I'm like, do your other friends have training bras? Ah! What did I just do? I'm just totally making it. She's like, ew, not really. And I'm like, well, it's totally normal for your friends to get training bras and periods. Periods? Why am I saying that? And it just, it's just getting out of control. And I'm like, I got to ask questions. Got to ask questions. So I came up with a couple more questions. We finally get home. Madison gets out, runs into the house. Stacy's looking at me like, what happened? I'm like, nothing. I just asked questions and I didn't freak out. I got this. Please don't freak out. That's my point, okay? Because <sighs> your parents, your parents, kids need to trust you. I'm going to make a provocative statement. This is from Reggie Joyner's book. He says this. He says, too often parents think their primary goal is to get their children to follow the rules. During the formative and teenage years, it's actually more important for parents to earn trust with their child than for the child to earn trust with their parents. Wow, this is a total judo move. I thought it was a mistype. No, they got to trust me. No, this time you want them to trust you. I wish I had time to tell you some of the things that have happened with my kids and some of those moments where I blew it and some of those moments where I made it, I did it right. And, and, and it, it was significant in terms of you can scar your kids or you can mark them in those moments depending on how you handle that. Are you with me, everybody? Okay, so last, so the last thing I want to say about that is just don't win hearts. Don't, don't, win, don't try to win hearts, excuse me, not arguments. That's what you want to do in these seasons. Just win their heart, not just try to win the arguments, okay? Amen. Are you guys with me right now? All right, last phase. Everybody see last phase, and I'm going to conclude here. The friendship phase. This is 18 plus. I had way more material than I could possibly do because I've been away for four weeks, and that's what happens. Um, this phase is the most significant, though, of them all. This is thinking with the end in mind. Because from 18 plus, particularly to 18 to about 30 years old, they're going to make the biggest decisions in their life. 
the biggest decisions. And you want to be in the front. Think of it as a car you're driving in with your kids. You want to be in the front seat with your, car, with your kids. Yes. You're not driving anymore. They're driving. But you want to be in the front right. seat discussing those decisions with your kids. They're going to talk about where they're going to go to school, where they're going to live, who they're going to live with the rest of their lives. And you want to be in that seat a primary influencer in that situation. Are you with me? Today, by the grace of God, you know, when you get through the discipline phase, you get through the training, the coaching phase, you can come to this friendship phase where, in my case with Stacy, our kids are our best friends. Literally, our best friends. Uh, I think about, like, on the weekends, if they're, if, if they're not away, they're at our house. That's the goal, everybody, Amen. that they be close to God and that they be close Amen. to you. And we've had a lot of bumps and bruises along the way, a lot of misses, a lot of mistakes in our parenting. But I believe we're going to have many, many years of friendship because of how we were able to process these stages. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from a father I've made known to you. Jesus' ultimate goal was to be friends with you as well. Amen? Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to let TC and online and Framingham, I'm going to release you guys at this time. God bless you. Thank you for being with us in this service experience. Would you guys mind closing your eyes and bowing your heads? We're going to pray. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you that you are the perfect parent. And you know how to do this the right way. And so help us, Lord, as influencers, grandparents, parents, soon-to-be parents one day, even children, learn from this message. For the one who feels very disconnected and distant from their children, I encourage you to get prayer after service today. But I just want to tell you, it is never too late to win their heart. It's never too late. God has an attitude towards you that if you'll have the same attitude towards your children, it is possible. Because God had prodigals, and you were one of those. And in the story of the prodigal, God looked with anticipation and expectation for the return of his son. And one day his son came back, and in compassion, in compassion, God the Father, the ultimate parent, received his child. And God wants you to be the same thing for someone else. So if you see how he sees you, you can do the same thing for your child. Amen? Amen? For every person that's in this room that might be disconnected from God today and you want to connect with him personally, in a personal way, you want to come into relationship with him, you want to make sure that you are in right standing with Jesus Christ, if that's you, and you know that's you, would you just say, Pastor, would you pray for me before I leave today? I want to have that certainty, that confidence that I'm in relationship with God. Raise your hand good and high so I can see you. God bless you, sister. God bless you, sir, over there. Amen. Anybody else? Good, good and high so I don't miss you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you pray this prayer? Everybody together, but especially those that raise your hand. Say, Jesus. Come on, say it loud. Jesus, today is the day of salvation. I receive what you did for me, what you made possible for me through the cross, the ultimate expression of love laying down your life for me. Thank you. And by grace through faith, today is the day of salvation for me. Father, I thank you, God, that no matter what happens, you don't fail us, Father. You never will fail us. You're always there for us. And we can put our trust and our hope in the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And all the church in the room said, Amen. amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for his word. God bless you guys. Amen, amen.